I've been picking up our study once again in the book of Acts, following now the journeys of the Apostle Paul as he is headed toward Rome inevitably. Uh, but we will uh, call this message today, The Missing Ingredient. On February the 10th of 2013, a fire broke out in the engine room of the Carnival cruise ship Triumph. The fire knocked out the ship's power and left the vessel drifting in the Gulf of Mexico with more than 4,200 passengers and crew left in limbo. The power outage, of course, made it impossible for them to do basic things like flush the toilets and keep the air conditioning system running and refrigerate the food and cook. And so it was really quite chaotic there on that ship. Passengers with smartphones began to take pictures and posts and uh, they showed long lines of people waiting for rations and uh, they talked about foul smells on the deck and overflowing toilets and uh, shortages of water, and uh, many passengers uh, decided to sleep in the hallways during that time to escape some of the trials they were dealing with. News crews, meanwhile, were flying over the ship in helicopters, uh, keeping the live feed going around the world of the progress of the rescue of that ship. CNN and other media outlets, as they had their cameras trained on that situation, dubbed the disaster of the triumph, listen to this, the cruise ship from hell. Now the triumph was eventually pulled by a tugboat into port. But the ship's loss of power wasn't just difficulty for the passengers. In fact, in the wake of that, Carnival lost millions of dollars due to the incident. And one article that I read explained, Carnival learned the hard way, that when the power goes out, listen to this, the party is over. <laughs> now, a Christian who is disconnected from their power source, who is the Holy Spirit, is like a rudderless ship floating in the ocean. They're aimless and helpless and powerless. Charles Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers, wrote these words. He said, quote, Without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. Remove the indwelling power of the paraclete, he wrote, and we are ships without wind, chariots without steeds, branches without sap, and coals without fire. Now when it comes to the person and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we're either plugged in, or we're just merely plodding along. And the book of Acts is interesting because it is filled with so many examples of how the coming of the Holy Spirit turned the early church people from cowardly wimps into courageous witnesses. They went from meek lambs to roaring lions. And for example, we might look at Peter. Peter went from denying Jesus in the Gospels to when you get to the book of Acts, he's declaring Jesus on the day of Pentecost. Paul, he went from being the most vehement persecutor of the church, but after being filled by the Holy Spirit, is now the most valuable preacher of the church. And so the movement of the Holy Spirit across the globe 
during that first century was so earth-shattering that the Roman Empire was shaken at its foundation. And according to Acts 17 verse 6, that the early church turned the world upside down. Now, we have come in our study to Acts 18 and 19. And here we are going to see another example of how the Holy Spirit transitioned the world into this church age. And in this passage, what we notice is how the Spirit's ministry radically changed the lives of believers in one important New Testament city, and that's the city of Ephesus. In fact, one commentator I read this week said that he refers to this episode in Ephesus as a, quote, mini Pentecost that opened up Asia for the gospel. Now, here's the story up to this point. Let me refresh your mind. Paul has just completed his second missionary journey. He finished his ministry for 18 months there in the city of Corinth. And now he is on his way back to his home church there in Antioch, and he's going to meet the believers there. He's going to give them a progress report of all that he was able to accomplish. And now traveling along with Paul as they're going back toward Antioch are his two faithful friends whom he met in the previous chapter, chapter 18, a couple named Aquila and Priscilla, and they helped Paul get the church started there in Corinth. But on Paul's journey back to Antioch, we see that he stops in chapter 19 in Ephesus. And it is here in this important city that Paul helps a group of believers get started in the Holy Spirit. So in today's message, what we are going to be looking at are three important ministries of the Holy Spirit. And what the Spirit did for those believers way back then in the book of Acts and in the city of Ephesus, He's still doing today wherever you are serving God. So as we read this chapter today, I want you to notice, number one, the Holy Spirit helps believers grasp the Word of God. First ministry of the Holy Spirit is He helps believers grasp the Word of God. Let's read together, starting in verse 24 of chapter 18. It says here, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. And he was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though, watch this, he knew only the baptism of John. We read here, continuing in verse 26, that he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now we've already met Aquila and Priscilla and they are some interesting minor players in the book of Acts because they had an influential role in encouraging two of the early church's greatest preachers. First it was the Apostle Paul and now we see that they help this man named Apollos. So here they are in Ephesus and they are impressed with this silver-tongued preacher Apollos who thunders his messages from the local synagogue. Now, if we were to do a little study on Apollos, we could notice that he could boast quite a resume. Not only was he eloquent, the Bible says, 
but we have every suspicion to believe that he was also educated because we learn that he's from Alexandria there in uh, Egypt. And Alexandria was home of the finest library and university in the ancient world. And in fact, Alexandria is the place where the Old Testament was translated into the Greek version of that called the Septuagint. That would have been the Bible of Paul and Jesus and others. But Apollos knew his Bible. And the Bible says that he was learned in the Scriptures. He was competent. He was full of vigor and spirit. But... Apollos here was missing something. There was one flaw in his preaching. In fact, it was a pretty big one. The text says, as we read here, that he knew only of the baptism of John. In other words, Apollos knew about Jesus only in a limited sense. He may have known Him as the Messiah and as the Son of God, but only up until... His baptism by John the Baptist. So imagine if you were given an Old Testament and the first three chapters of the book of Matthew, and that's all that you had to glean from uh, the ministry of Jesus, and now you can get a picture for how incomplete Apollo's understanding of Christ was. He would have been ignorant of all of Jesus' mighty miracles. Uh, He would have been unaware of... Jesus tangles with the Pharisees and scribes. Uh, He would not have known about Jesus' uh, prophetic teaching or His Sermon on the Mount or any of His great I Am promises. Uh, He would have not known of the treachery of Judas and the betrayal there. He would have not known of the death on the cross. He would have been out of the loop about His resurrection glory. And most importantly, He would have also been in the dark about the coming and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now Warren Wiersbe, who's a great Bible commentator, wrote this insightful word. Listen to what he said. He said, quote, It wasn't that Apollos' message was inaccurate or insincere. It was just incomplete. Word traveled slow in the ancient world, and the rest of the good news, he said, had not yet reached him. Now, Aquila and Priscilla come along and they, we read here, fill in the gaps in Apollo's understanding of the Scriptures and the program of God. No doubt they pulled him aside and they began to the story of Jesus and how he fulfilled prophecy, how he died on the cross for our sins, how he was resurrected. And of course, they would have told them about the ministry of the Holy Spirit and how Jesus had not left us as orphans, but He had sent the paraclete to come and indwell believers and to help them along their Christian journey. And so, what they saw in Apollos was a great preacher, somebody who had tremendous potential, but this man, no matter how learned, no matter how gifted he may be, no matter how charismatic or dynamic he was as a minister, he was incomplete. He had a missing ingredient. The Holy Spirit. Listen, friend, God doesn't care about how much education we have. In fact, don't ever think that God can't use an unlearned person. Because think about this. Here's Apollos. He's erudite. He's polished, no doubt. He could probably boast an alphabet of scholarly letters behind his name. And yet, he has to take time out and sit at the feet of two humble tent makers to learn. You talk about being humbled. 
So don't ever think that God can't use an uneducated or an unlearned person. God doesn't care how much education you have. In fact, the Bible says that He delights to use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. It reminds me of a story that I heard about D.L. Moody. Now, D.L. Moody was one of America's most powerful preachers during his time. Uh, He was the Billy Graham of his generation, you might say. He preached to thousands in the United States and even in Europe during the mid-1800s. But many church leaders and many uh, newspaper reporters were baffled at this man Moody because here was a guy who had no formal training. He'd never been to seminary. Uh, He had barely just learned how to read and write. And yet, here was this man with no scholarly title to his name, and he was able to draw the masses. His sermons were rough. His message was simple. Uh, He wasn't really polished, they say. He wasn't nearly as eloquent as other preachers of that time. But yet, people came out in droves by the thousands to hear this simple man preach a simple message about a great God and a great gospel. And the story goes that there were some pastors here in the United States and they were going to be planning a series of evangelistic meetings. And they were debating within this meeting about which preacher they should call to be the headliner. And one man stood up and said, we need to get D.L. Moody to come and preach in our city. Well, another man in the committee disagreed. He said, I'm tired of hearing about Moody. I'm tired of reading about Moody. That man barely even completed the sixth grade Why do you think that D.L. Moody has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? And they said that there was a quiet hush over that meeting, and then one man answered, No, sir, but it seems that the Holy Spirit seems to have a monopoly on D.L. Moody. And friend, that's the great thing that we can learn about from this passage. I want the Holy Spirit to have a monopoly on Derek McCarson. Man appoints, but listen to me, God anoints. I'm not anti-learning. Don't take me wrong. I'm not anti-educational. But listen, friend, I'd rather be a country hick with the anointing of the Holy Spirit than a doctor of theology who isn't able to preach his way out of a paper bag. And if you've been to seminary, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm thankful that God doesn't need, that the Holy Spirit doesn't need ability. He just needs availability. He'll take a whosoever will. He'll clean them up. He'll fill them up and He'll anoint them to serve the living God. Now the Holy Spirit is still the greatest teacher today. I can preach, but I can't bring conviction to the hearts of men and women. I can plant the gospel seed, but I can't make it grow and I can't make it spring into the fruit of conversion. Listen, without the Holy Spirit... My preaching and my teaching is just information. But with the Holy Spirit, it has now the power of transformation. Not just information, but transformation. Without the divine work of the paraclete, you and I, friend, are just incomplete. Or like Apollos, we may have zeal and we may have knowledge, but friend, we have the missing ingredient. If it's not uh, having the anointing and the touching of God upon it, if the Holy Spirit hasn't blessed it and kissed it, I don't want to be a part of it because it's not going to do anybody any good except get folks excited a little bit and maybe inform their mind a little bit. But what I'm in for is a touch of God, the breath of the Holy Spirit to move over God's people. Now, this teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit, remember, 
the Holy Spirit helps believers grasp the Word of God. Just as Apollos had to go back to school and learn from Aquila and Priscilla. This is called the illuminating ministry of the Spirit. Now twice Jesus spoke about this in John's Gospel. John 14, 26. He says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. And then in John 16, 13. Listen to what Jesus said there. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own, but He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is to come. Some of you in your home, you have a dimmer switch. And dimmer switches are designed to raise and lower the level of light in a room. So, depending on where your dimmer switch is, you can have a low light environment, or you can bump it up a few degrees and go full on and have the full power of those light bulbs above your head. And I give you that illustration to say this, the Holy Spirit and His ministry of illumination is like a dimmer switch in our lives. What He does is uh, He turns up the light so that as you study the Bible, you begin to understand and see things that you've never seen before. If you're like me, you read and study your Bible almost every day. And isn't it interesting, friend, how you can be reading a passage that you've read a hundred times before, but on that day, at that time, the Holy Spirit reveals something in that message, in that text, just for you, and just at that right time, whatever you're going through in that day, and it's exactly the Word that you needed right then and there. You see, the Word of God, which was inspired by the Holy Spirit, will give more light and more revelation. I'm telling you what, I have been stuck many, many times in my sermon preparation, in my study. If you're a preacher, if you teach a Sunday school or in any capacity, you know exactly what that's about. You have read, you've studied, you've prepared, and then you hit a wall. You get stuck. It's human. But I'm telling you, I have hit that wall and I've prayed, Lord, you've got to open my eyes. Lord, you've got to help me. I've got to get a word for your people. And you know what? God is always faithful. The teacher of the Holy Spirit is there to show up. I've gotten tired messages while I've been riding on the lawnmower. <laughs> Praise God. He meets me there. He teaches me there. He helps me to realize something that I hadn't seen before. I've gotten messages while I've been pushing my daughter on the swing set before. It's just God. He just shows up in the busyness and in the uh, everyday activity of, of whatever you're doing. I've had the Lord come to me in the middle of the night. And He's come to me and given me ideas and given me things that I've needed for a message. And I've learned now to, when I sleep at night my, on my nightstand, I've got a pad and I've got a pen of paper because if God shows up in the middle of the night to tell me something, I better write it down because I'll forget it the next morning when I wake up. Anybody out there know what I'm talking about? But that's number one. The Holy Spirit helps believers grasp the Word of God. And then I want you to see this number two. The Holy Spirit helps bring glory to the Son of God. Grasp the Word of God and glory to the Son of God. Notice what happens here in Apollo's life. After he sits at the feet of Priscilla and Aquila, he goes back out into ministry. Verse 27. And when he 
wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. Watch this. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. Watch this. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the Scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Now, the preaching ministry of Apollos went from superficial to supernatural under the anointing now of the Holy Spirit and after his schooling had been completed. And now we see that Apollos is a man to be reckoned with. Those who challenged him on the debate stage had to flee like a bunch of scalded dogs when old Apollos was done with them. And like never before, we see that his preaching now reaches new heights as he elevated Christ. The Spirit took that message and blessed it and anointed it and gave him power because it says there in verse 28, he powerfully refuted, showing by the Scriptures, here it is, that the Christ was Jesus. Now, it's interesting that another ministry that Jesus talked about with reference to the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit, when He came, would be His top promoter. Listen to what John 16, 14 tells us. Jesus says this, He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. He will glorify Me. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit does. He never draws attention to Himself, but He acts behind the scenes as a spotlight shining all the attention and all the adoration toward the Son of God, Jesus. And nothing, I believe, pleases the Spirit of God more than when the people of God show up to lift up the name of the Son of God. That the Spirit will always be on board with assisting God's people in making Jesus the star attraction. Now let me say this. Every born-again child of God desires to glorify Christ because that's the main mission of the Holy Spirit who lives within them. And our preaching should always point others to Jesus. Our testifying should always brag about His abundant grace. Our singing should always lift up the name that is above every name. And when the Holy Spirit is resident in our lives, we'll be busy about making Jesus the president of our lives because He can't help but glorify the Son. And if you've turned your life over to Him, if you've given Him full control, you can't help but bring glory and honor and praise and blessing to the Son of God because He's worthy. And I feel a, a fresh wind and fresh fire today. God will meet you if you're ready to glorify God wherever you are. It doesn't matter. You don't have to be in the church building. The Holy Spirit will sit down right beside you and help you to bless the name of God. The other evening, my family, we had to get a break. We were getting cabin fever. And we decided we were going to go outside and have a campfire. And so the wood that I had been using on that campfire had actually set out all winter long. Well, I had some dry kiln on there, but I was still kind of having a hard time getting that fire started. Well, once I did finally get it to spark and it started to fire up a little bit, I went over to our children's sandbox, and it has a plastic cover that goes over the sandbox. And I took that plastic cover and I started doing this, just wafting that, 
trying to fan the flames, you know. And uh, Daniel saw me doing that. And Daniel came over. He said, Daddy, he said, what you doing? I said, I said I'm trying to make this fire go. And he said, well, I want to turn. I want to do that. Daniel's a little bit of, like his mama. He's a fire bug, I'll tell you. He likes to play in the fire. So I handed that cover off to young Daniel. And he was over there by the edge of the fire just doing one of these numbers, wafting the flames. And uh, he looked over at me and he said, Daddy, he said, you keep putting the wood on. He said, I'll make sure the fire gets over there. <laughs> and I want to tell you, that's what Paul said to Timothy, didn't he? Over in 2 Timothy 1.6, he said, For this reason, I'm here to remind you to fan the flame of the gift of God which is in you. And friend, when we are to allow the Holy Spirit to fan the flames in our lives so that we can burn hot and we can burn bright for the Lord Jesus Christ, and the more that we allow the fire of the Holy Spirit to consume us, the more glory He's going to receive. Listen to me. I'd rather burn out then rust out. I'd rather go out of this world shouting and praising and preaching any way that I can because my God's great and my Jesus is risen and my Holy Spirit is faithful to meet me in the time that I need Him. Listen, I am so glad today for the indwelling presence of God's Holy Spirit. You probably have been in it just like I have. You ever been in a worship service where it felt like the enemy was there with heels dug in, fighting you every inch of the way. And it felt like you were just buttoned up against a barrier. I've been there before. And then all of a sudden, as you just keep worshiping, as you draw in the presence of God, it seems like the dam breaks down and God's Spirit invades. And the devil has to flee uh, with his tail tucked between his legs because God's people have got the victory and Jesus gets glory in that moment. I've been about my daily chores and I just started worshiping the Lord, whatever I was doing, sweeping the floor, mowing the grass. Hey, I've had a hallelujah, praise the Lord time sitting at the red light in my little blue car with the gospel music turned up and uh, tears falling down my face and snot bubbles coming out my nose and people look over and say, what's that got a hold of that guy? And I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is in that moment. He's there helping me. And uh, Jesus gets glory in that moment. I felt the sweet presence of the Holy Spirit in places that you wouldn't expect. You see, sometimes the Holy Spirit, He comes in like a mighty rushing wind. And other times, He's as gentle as a dove. And I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit in places that you wouldn't expect it. You go into a hospital room where somebody's broke down and sick. Uh, you go into a nursing home, a nursing room where somebody's been sequestered and forgotten and set aside by their family. Uh, I've been beside the deathbed of somebody and not know what to say. God help me. And the Holy Spirit is there. And He just whispers. And He helps God's people bring glory to Christ in wherever situation. They are in, I've been in prayer meetings where God's people are so discouraged. God's people are ready to give up. God's people are ready to throw in the towel. But in tears, God's people cry out to Him. And I felt the Holy Spirit blow fresh wind and fresh fires on dying embers. And saints are a whole lot better as they come out to prayer meeting than when they came in. Why? 
Because it's the Holy Spirit glorifying His Son through the saints of God's people. So we see, number one, the Holy Spirit helps us grasp the Word of God. Number two, the Holy Spirit helps us glorify the Son of God. And then number three, listen to this. The Holy Spirit helps bestow gifts to the church of God. He helps bestow gifts to the church of God. Look what happens in verse 1 of chapter 19. And it happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, listen to this, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. They were just in the same boat as Apollos. Verse 3, and he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, and that is Jesus. And on hearing this, they were all baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, watch, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And there were about 12 men in all. So after Paul finished up his business, he sets out on another missionary journey and he comes to Ephesus. And once again, when he arrives there in that city, he found that there's a group of believers who were kind of like in a Rip Van Winkle slumber. Like Apollos, they had only heard so much up to the baptism of John, and they didn't know about the baptism of Jesus. And so Paul explained to them what they were lacking. That the baptism of John looked forward to the coming of Jesus. And the Christian baptism looks backwards to the finished work of Jesus on the cross. The baptism of John signified repentance, but Christian baptism today signifies regeneration. And so Paul explained these matters to the Ephesians there. And just like at Pentecost, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit came and filled those 12 believers who were there. And we see that when the Holy Spirit arrived, the evidence that He had arrived was manifested in the spiritual gifts that they received. The Bible says that they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Now, it's interesting. There's actually three occasions in the book of Acts where we see the Holy Spirit arriving and giving the gift of tongues. We see that first in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. We see it again in chapter 10 when Peter is there among the Gentiles. And then we see it here again. And this is actually the last mention of tongues in the book of Acts. Now, let me just sit down here and do a little bit of teaching on this. There are some who run in charismatic circles who love to point to a text like this and argue, hey, if you're truly filled with the Holy Spirit, then you will speak in tongues. You ever heard that before? I have. But if you actually study what the Bible says about spiritual gifts, that's not really what the Bible teaches. Every believer in Christ receives the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation, but not every believer gets the gift of tongues. And in the book of Acts, what we see is that the gift of tongues was a very miraculous gift 
for a specific purpose and a specific time, it was not and it has not been the only evidence of receiving the Holy Spirit. There's lots of spiritual gifts besides speaking in tongues. And I would say that a greater sign that you are Spirit-filled is being able to control the one tongue that you have. Amen? Now, the Bible is clear that when it does come to spiritual gifts, none of God's children are empty-handed. We all get some gift, at least one. Listen to what 1 Peter 4.10 says. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, the tendency in the church is to think, well, I'm not a preacher, and I can't stand up and sing a song, and so therefore, I don't have a gift for ministry. And friend, that's a lie from the devil to discourage God's people from serving. That's simply not true. The Spirit doesn't assign the same gifts to everyone the same reason that a football coach doesn't assign all of his players to be quarterbacks. Because we all have a different role. We all have a different function within the body of Christ. We're all gifted differently so that we will be unified, so that we will be interdependent. I have a gift, and my gift may be different from yours, but together when we work as God's people, we can accomplish a whole lot more than individuals. Now, one way to help you understand your spiritual calling is an acrostic. It's the word shape, S-H-A-P-E. And a lot of Christians want to know, well, where do I fit in? What's my ministry within the church? How can I be of most use? And this acrostic, S-H-A-P-E, will help us to understand our calling. The S stands for spiritual gifts. What has God supernaturally gifted me to do? It could be to teach. It could be mercy. It could be giving. It could be worship. It could be... Uh, Faith, whatever your gift is. H, that's heart. What do I have a passion and a love to do? A is abilities. What natural talents and skills do I have? And God wastes nothing in this. Even if you have a job that you did uh, 20 years ago and you're not using it today, uh, it could still be of use in God's church because uh, God's people, when they come together, we pull all the resources that we have from life. P is personality. Where does my personality best suit me to serve? Probably you're not going to put an introverted person behind the pulpit. Uh, Probably that introverted person is going to be better with the gift of helps or with prayer ministry or with encouragement or something else. So you look at your personality. And then E is experiences. What from my past can God use to help others? Even if your past is checkered with sin and with uh, bad decisions, hey, God saved you and redeemed you for a purpose because He wants to use that background that you have to help others who are in the same situation today find Jesus and find forgiveness and find their place in the church. So as we close this passage, what we see here is that when the Holy Spirit moves into a life, Hey, He totally transforms them from the inside out. He gives understanding to dark minds. He emboldens those who are timid. He dispenses gifts that turns us from spectators into participants. And with the gift of the Holy Spirit in us, we become the agents of God's grace. And the question that we have to ask ourselves now 
as we examine this passage, is the same one that Paul asked these believers here in Ephesus. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? I'm not talking about walking down a church and aisle and praying a prayer or becoming a member at a church or signing a card or uh, having a so-called spiritual experience. What this text shows us, friend, is you can be religious, uh, you can be moral, you can even be knowledgeable in the Scriptures and have a background of faith and you can still not have the Holy Spirit. You can have, not have that missing ingredient. You see, you could have prayed a prayer or attended church or had a religious experience that you think of. But friend, if you haven't been born again, if you haven't received heaven's throne gift of the Holy Spirit, then you need to repent today. You need to trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And you need to ask Him to forgive you and take up a bodeship in your life, which is the present dwelling of His Spirit. Maybe one of the best examples that I can give you to close up from this happened in the life of a man named William Haslam. William Haslam was a preacher years ago. He ministered in a little village called Cornwell, England during the mid-1800s. And I read about his experience in a, a book of biographies that I have in my library. But listen to this. The story goes that William Haslam got sick as a young man. He got a terrible case of pneumonia. And doctors pretty much wrote him off as a hopeless case. But miraculously, he pulled through his sickness. And during his convalescence, William Haslam picked up a Bible and he started reading. And he felt like, as he read, that to pay back God for what he had done in healing him, that God was wanting him to be a preacher. And so what he did was he signed up and he went to Durham Bible College over in England and uh, pretty soon after that learning, he was ordained for the ministry. Well, for years, he labored in a church there in Cornwall. Uh, he tried to get people interested, and he had mixed results. But the problem was, this man, William Haslam, only had head knowledge of the gospel. You see, he had never really been born again by the Spirit of God. And he said that a turning point came in his life when a man in his church fell ill. And he was called to the bedside of this man. And the man, knowing that he was near death and knowing that he was lost, asked William Haslam, he said, Pastor, he said, how can I be saved? And William Haslam said that it was like God drove a knife in his heart at that moment because he didn't know what to say. And in fact, another deacon in the church had to come and lead that man to Christ. So Haslam was deeply troubled. He knew that something was missing in his life. And the devil was all over him. He was frustrated. And he said that he rose to preach one morning in 1851. And he took for his text that day Matthew 22:42, which says this, What think ye of Christ? And he said that as he spoke, he felt the Holy Spirit ripping him up on the inside like a plow tearing through soft ground. He said the Holy Spirit was screaming at him on the inside, You are a hypocrite. You're a Pharisee. Uh, you think that you are some religious preacher, but you're lost. You don't know my son, and you need to be saved right now. And William Haslam wrote this. He said, 
At that moment, I undercame the convicting power of the Spirit in the middle of my sermon. I stopped preaching. I got down on my knees and I cried out to the Lord for salvation. Could you imagine if that had been a church where the preacher repented and got saved? He said, at that moment, I do not remember all that I said to the Lord, but I felt a wonderful light and joy coming into my soul. It was as if I saw Jesus for the first time. As he, he said, as I prayed, a man in the congregation stood up and saw the change on my face and shouted, the parson is converted! The parson is converted! Hallelujah! And he ran outside the church and announced it to the whole village. The Holy Spirit swept through that church and in response, people came from the pews and flooded the altar. At least 20 people were saved that day. The preacher got saved and a revival began in Cornwall as news spread about the preacher who had been converted in the middle of his own sermon. And so that's how we wrap it up, friends. You can be religious, you can be moral, you can be gifted, you can be talented, you can be rich or poor, whatever and have all of these wonderful gifts, but friend, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, that's the missing ingredient. And just like that preacher, and just like Apollos, you have to sit and at the feet of Jesus, repent of your sin, trust in Him, and allow Him to give you the paraclete, the Holy Spirit. If you haven't done that today, I'm going to lead you in a prayer as we finish. If you need to pray today and you need to receive Christ, you can repeat this simple prayer where you are at. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Lord, I know that if I were to die today, I would go to a devil's hell. Lord, I pray that you would forgive me today. I'm a great sinner. Cleanse me, wash me, make me whole. I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe that He rose from the grave. I ask that you send the Holy Spirit into my life. Help me today to live for Jesus the rest of my life. Thank you, God, for saving me. Amen.